1: Good afternoon, tycoons, and welcome to this episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. You are stuck with your host, Landon, today because Austin is in Austin. Yes, he is in Austin, Texas, starting to do some planning for a committee that he's on for an event that is happening in 11 months, so... Uh, Why that is happening, I'm not sure, but I think they're trying to be really proactive. So, uh, hey, glad that you're with us today. This is your first time joining Tycoons of Small Biz. We are a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Austin and I both come from long lines of entrepreneurs, great, great grandparents, grandparents, uh, parents, uh, siblings. Uh, So we, we live and breathe entrepreneurship. We love it. And uh, that's why we started Tycoons, to give a platform to Main Street businesses to come on and tell their individual and their professional journeys and for us to understand how those are intertwined, to hear about successes and failures and everything in between. And I assure you, today's conversation uh, will be an absolute pleasure and a delight. Her story is super, super unique and interesting. How she came about into the role that she's in now is uh it's just it's probably nothing you've ever heard before. So we're we're super excited to have Tiffany Stovall on the show. She is the CEO and the president, Kansas Manufacturing Solutions. And essentially what they do is they help Kansas manufacturers work smarter, compete, and prosper. That's essentially why they exist. So, Tiffany, welcome to uh, Tycoons of Small Biz.
0: Thanks, Landon. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yep, you are so welcome. Just before we jump into any of the business stuff, Tiffany, we had an opportunity to chat with you for 10 or 15 minutes, what feels like forever <laughs> ago. You know, it was probably three months ago because right now we kind of, we usually book about two to three months out for the show. So during our pre-qualification call, we had an opportunity to chat with you, get to know you a bit. You told us a little bit about your family, but rather than me try to uh, rehash that, please spend a couple minutes, Tiffany. Tell us anything about your your personal life, your upbringing, your family, your education, anything that is important to you. We'd love to just get a little bit uh, a little bit of insight into Tiffany's background.
0: That's awesome. Well, I mean, what an open ended question because I we all like to think that we are like these super complex people, right? And I'm just a normal girl from the Midwest. I grew up and born and raised in Kansas City, Kansas City on the Missouri side. So go Chiefs, go Royals. But because on on the Kansas side, we're all smushed together. It just kind of is all the same for everyone else in the world, except for if you live in Kansas City, you have to make the distinction between Missouri and Kansas. There is a street called state Line, And on one side, you are in Missouri. The other side, you are very distinctly in Kansas. Mm. So um, that's, that's just for those that are in the know and that, that care. About me, gosh, I serve Kansas companies right now, but I was born and raised in Missouri. I went to the University of Missouri, Go Tigers, that was a very interesting thing coming to work on the on the Kansas side because every company that every company I would go sit in front of, there was always a K State banner in the background or a University of Kansas in the banner in the background, and they, the first thing that they all ask is, "What school did you go to?" And they're looking for that you went to one of those big two. Even though we've got more, we've got Wichita State University, Pittsburgh State University, Emporia State, but they're looking for that the the right answer is one of those, right? And so I'd say, I went to Mizzou, go Tigers. And they're like ready to throw me out of the office. But I, a proud Missouri graduate and moved to Charlotte, North Carolina for a little bit and came back to Kansas City after my son was born. So I have a son named Timothy, my husband, Tim. So I, it's Tiff and the two Tims is how we're known is that we would go somewhere and it's like Tiff and the Tims. Um, I actually even tried to start a blog at one point when after my son was first born called uh, my two Tims or something like that, because the most ridiculous stuff happens when you have a toddler. He's 15 now, so he's not that. But I distinctly remember a time where I caught my son. He was probably four at the time trying to jump into his pants. Have you ever seen a child try to jump two feet at a time into their, into their pants. And he was so, he was so heavy at this. I was in the other room and I heard, thump ah, thump Ah, darn it. thump. (laughs) And so I'm going, what is, so I go and I just stand in the door and watch him. And he's busy at this for 15 minutes. So finally I said, where did you get this? (laughs) What are you doing? I'm trying to jump in my pants. Why? Because that would be cool if I could jump into my pants where did you get this from? About this point, his dad walks up behind me. Big Tim. So we've got little Timmy and big Tim. So Mm. big Tim walks up behind me and I said, do you see what this kid's doing? He's trying to jump in his pants. And he was like, oh yeah, we practiced that the other day. (laughs) (laughs) That's where it came from. It it came from his dad trying to, they thought they could jump in their pants. So on one side of me, it's, you know, very very business and running a company and la blah, 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 The other side, I have, you know, two Tims trying to jump into their pants all the time. And so life, life is fun. And I think that is my, anyone that knows me knows that, you know, I don't take life, don't take things too seriously. And that is because this is the kind of thing I have going on in my background, which is, you know, trying to jump in our pants. And I would not doubt that that's something that has been tried within the last 12 months.
1: Well, what if I told you that I haven't seen one kid do it, but I've seen two do it at the same time. <laughs> no, not not really, but my my I've got two and a half year old twins, you know. So ah, nice. Yeah, so doing all kinds of stuff like that, you know, stuff that I, I just never would have in a million years actually seen people actually try to do, you know.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm sure la- you have lots of good stories, Landon.
1: Oh man, yeah. Yeah. Last night we were playing in, uh, well, we were just kind of sitting in the living room and they were playing in the hallway, you know, kind of in the walkway of of our house, you know, uh, the walkway from the front door in the living room. And one of our neighbors had come over and dropped off this Barbie bus. You know, it's like the size of a small, like gym bag, you know, something like that. My son is sitting on top of it and the whole to, to, you know, to uh, climb down into the driver's seat, you know, it's like six inches long by, you know, three inches wide. And he's, he's like telling me he wants to climb in there so that he can drive this thing. You know, and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, buddy, the, the steering wheel is like the size of your fingernail. Like, I don't think you could drive that. thing. So yeah, they, they keep us on our toes That's good. All, all day, every single day. So. It's so good. Yeah. Now, if I recall, I think you said. So I'm assuming your son is either a freshman or
0: a sophomore. Yes. And I think he's a
1: football player, right?
0: He he is. He's a football player. They've just finished football season, so they didn't last year. His um his team they made it to state. Actually, they won state, which was a kind kind of a big deal. This year they didn't even make it through the playoffs. So he's wrestling now. So let me tell okay. you about wrestling. He has not, he's not a wrestler. He has not wrestled before but he's on the D line with football. And his coach said, you know, you should do wrestling. Just, it'll, it'll help you out. It'll keep you active, all that kind of thing. We did try to do wrestling once before he was in the seventh grade and it was the third day of practice. And he tore like all the ligaments in his ankle during during practice. So I get this call from the front, from the front office that, he had hurt himself, and so you can't see me, but I'm 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 tall. I'm six foot tall. Big Tim is it's like six three, and so my seventh grader was also tall. He was just a really big kid, and the, his coach was probably five six, five seven, kind of a small guy, but had carried this kid from the basement of the school over his shoulder, up this up the stairs. So at that time. Timmy was probably five eight, five nine, and two hundred plus pounds. He was over two hundred pounds. He's a big, he was a big kid at that point. He's now six three hundred and seventy. So he had that had that growth spurt. 6'4". Like so he had that growth spurt and lost a bunch of weight. But he was still in this place, right? So I hear that this coach has like thrown him over his shoulder and run down the hallway, and I'm just like, slow clap for the coach because he got him there. And when I get to the school, he's the, they're at the front, at the front door and he's sitting in an office chair and the secretary, God love her. She's like rolling him out in a wheeled, cha- in a, not a wheelchair, but a chair with wheels on the bottom of an office chair. And so I'm asking what's, and he was, he was out, he played basketball too at the time, but he was out for, he was done for maybe three months. And so that was his experience with wrestling. And I was like, so I guess we don't wrestle. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm done with wrestling. So now he's he's wrestling again. Um, Football season's over. He they had a great he had a great season. They had a great season. But so he's now wrestling. He's now wrestling. And okay. I I'm waiting. I'm just hoping you know he doesn't. We don't break bones in this family, but we we tear ligaments. <laughs> we, we've got all these you know muscle and ligament issues. So I'm just oh gosh, every day crossing all the fingers that there's nothing strange that happens. Just because I'm still shell shocked by that.
1: Right, right, right. It sounds like sounds like a, a a bit of a tale of an entrepreneur where you know you you make state one year and then the next year you don't even make the playoffs and yes. you know, then you then you try something else and you tear something and then you're knocked down and then you you know you get back up and yes so um yeah very cool all right well you tell him that we're 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 rooting for him so you've got a really cool story I just remember getting off the call with you and Austin and I. Chatted for a second. I'm like, what a freaking cool story! Like, how many people will you meet in your life that have the story that you have to where I don't want to give anything away because I want you to tell it, but where you started out doing what you were doing and end up in the position that you are in now. So, give us the backstory to how you got to you know where you are today.
0: Oh my gosh, I I would love to, um, because still there's some days I go how did I get here? So I, I mentioned earlier that we moved back here from North Carolina after my son was born. So we moved back in 2007 and I stayed home for a little while, for, well, for a few months. And then I got a job with a company called TetraTech. They're a large environment, international environmental services firm. The gentleman that hired me, I was hired to be a project manager in the, in the energy efficiency Team that they were building. Well, this was 2007, 2008. We all know what happened to the economy around that time. Is that it just fell down? And in this, this, this um, division of Tetra Tech at the time, it was pre-construction. So it was pre-construction, but then they also had the energy management division within there. So I was the first hire. Of what was going to be a, a team of 12. After I was hired, the. Guy, um, the guy in his name, his name is Gary. Gary looks at me and he says, well, you know, they shut down hiring. So it's going to be you and me kid. And he said kid, because I was, that's, I was a kid at the time, essentially compared to what I am now. And he was very tenured in his career an industrial energy management engineer. And so I said, okay, what does that, what does that mean? And he said, well, we do energy audits. And so you're going to have to learn how to do this, or you're at least going to have to come out and be hands, hands on with me. Great. Our first project, we did an energy study of a um, a newspaper building, and we had, you know, so if you're if you're not familiar with energy management, you're looking at all the ways in a in a facility to save on on energy costs, whether it's electricity, gas, water, and Many times you're looking at, you're looking at the actual unit itself. And so they most of the time that, you know, air conditioner units are on the rooftops, the column rooftop units. A lot of times there's a way to get to the rooftop unit from inside the building. On this building, it was a two-story building. I'll never forget it. It was a two-story building. We had to, there was a ladder built into the side of the building and you have to scale the side of the building and get up and over to get onto the roof. And so um, we had also just brought it in. We had brought it in an intern. Intern was assigned to us at the same time, who was still in college. And so Gary looks at me and he's like, "Okay, we're going up there." And I was like, "Who's going up there?" He says, "We're going up there." And I said, "I don't climb the side buildings. I'm sorry." And also happened to be a super windy day. It was actually like historically windy on that day. He was like, "Look, this is what we do. If, if you're not able to do this, it's fine." Well, that was a. That was like a a challenge for me because, oh, you're, you're telling me I can't do this. So I climbed up the side of this building. Climbing up the side of a building isn't so hard, even when you're afraid of heights. Did I mention that part? It's the putting your foot over the side of the ladder, getting onto the roof. And so I made it through that. Then you have to also put that same leg over the side of the building and then scale down the side. I, I literally thought I was, I, I thought I was dying. I thought I was going to die. The wind is blowing. I am unsteady. My nerves are crazy. Um, so, the, so energy management, this is where, this is where I started out, um, at least in, in this, this line. And as time went on, you, you, he, 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 he also taught classes for the certified energy manager, CEM. And I'd go along with him, uh, or he wanted me to go along with him. I shouldn't say I would. This is the first time, um, and he needed me to be there to sort of help with the class logistically. And I said, well, you know what? If I'm going to be doing this, I should probably take this. I should probably participate in the class and take the test. And he looks at me, and he kind of pats my hand in a a very fatherly kind of way. We're still really good friends to this day. Um, But he's like, oh, no, no, no engineers even don't pass this on the first on the first time. So again, remember, challenge. Oh, you, I can't do this. Okay. So it's a week-long class. You take a test at the end of it. And he's like, you know what? He keeps telling me, it's okay when you don't pass it. It's okay because lots of people don't pass this the first time. So we get through and I pass the CEM. So Long story shorter, <laughs> we ended up doing work for, for, the, for the company I'm currently with. So our name is now KMS, Kansas Manufacturing Solutions. At the time, we were MAMTECH, Mid-America Manufacturing Technology Center. They hired us as a, as a, as a company to go, go in and do certified energy audits, or to do energy audits for industrial clients. By the way, I did pass the test on the first time, and I got my CEM certification like right away. So here we are, and now we're doing these we're doing energy audits for um, industrial clients. We were doing so much work, and about the time that time that office decided, you know, they, they were going to shut down. as pre-construction, and there was no construction happening by now, which is 2808, 2009. Um So they brought us in. They brought us in house. I initially came, so my Gary, who was my boss, he went in first, and he quickly found himself overwhelmed. <laughs> So I was still at Tetra Tech at the time doing a, had found my way on other things and they called and said, Hey, can you, can you come in just kind of on a contract basis? So I did for a short, for a short term. And when I arrived, there was like a, st- a stack of projects, just, you know, here, take this three months into that. I was offered a full-time role with, with this company. And I took it knowing that um, my, my future at that company was, kind of unsure with all the layoffs that were happening. So I took it. I came in and literally two months after that, there was word that layoff was happening in our own company, in our own organization. And usually like last in, first out, right? So I just started to hustle. Literally, what what can I do? <laughs> what what needs to be done? And just just took that approach because I I wanted to stay. Um, It worked out really, really well. It was close to my son's daycare. It was just, it all, it checked all the boxes. And so I just hustled. And so I obviously made it through, made it through the layoff, which was, which was in some ways kind of uncomfortable for me, knowing that I was the last person in and everybody expected I would be a part of that. And I wasn't, so that was a little bit uncomfortable, but what came out of that is that trying trying to build and grow out our energy management practice within the organization, I was I did that through partnerships. So I started to to develop partnerships with local utilities, with anyone that I possibly could. And I finally I did enough of that where the where the CEO at the time said, you know what, why don't you just do this? And so they created a role for me called VP of Partnerships. And so I was still doing energy work. Um, and then had this VP of partnership role, which was all-encompassing, and I continued to hustle. And all the time, we so for so we were getting some state funds at the, when I was first brought in, that went away. Um, so again, another round of layoffs, and I just kept up the hustle. It was really more about self-preservation, but also just trying to just keep moving things forward. And especially with entrepreneurs, you know, in small businesses, the more you hustle, the more you get, the more you hustle, the more there is to do kind of thing. And so it was one of those situations. And in twenty, so so now by 2017, when my boss at the time, who I still adore, he's one of my favorite people, those people that I've worked for. So um, this is now Mark and Gary before that, which those two are two of my favorites still he decided to leave and I was put into this role. So, I mean, it was just really kind of crazy. It was just like, keep doing more, keep your job. And the more the more I did, the more was given to me. But also it was this attitude of, it doesn't matter what it takes. It doesn't matter what it takes. I think, matter of, not, not I think, I know, I remember going into my to, um, my boss, so I'm, I'm a VP at the time. And I went into our CEO and I said, it doesn't matter what we need, even if it takes, even, even if it means taking out the trash, because we were looking around literally at all of our resources and what, what did we need? What did we not need? And so I just knew that there was gaps. And so I said, I don't know, I don't care what the gaps are. It doesn't matter to me about title or anything like that, whatever needs to be done, I'll do it. And so, um, I think it was that sense uh not just hustle, but like because that's bigger than just myself, right? There were times that I was overextended, but really it was about how do I keep things moving forward in this company? And what can I do to, to help that? And there was no sense of, well, that's not my job. I don't, I don't know who's going to do that now. And so it was <laughs> from, from the beginning, it was a bit of that. And here I am. And it's twenty um, when he left late 2017, um, I was appointed as, as CEO at that point. So this is a story of hustle. It really, it really just is a story of hustle. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so
1: I, I'm curious, Kansas Manufacturing Solutions, uh, I, I'm, I'll just refer to it as, as KMS from here on out, if that's, if that's okay. Yeah. So is KMS structured as a, you know, normal for-profit business, or do you guys have some kind of special structure? Like you're not a Nonprofit or something? Are you?
0: That's a great question. We actually are a nonprofit. We are a five hundred one c three nonprofit. So we are a consulting organization that also holds a contract with with NIST MEP, so National Institute of Standards and Technology Manufacturing Extension Partnership. So there's one of us, an organization like ours, in every state plus Puerto Rico. So there's fifty one centers across the country that are to, and the purpose of that contract is to help manufacturers in our states be competitive, to help them grow. And the purpose of, of this organization, NIST MEP, which, so NIST, um, if you're not familiar with NIST, it's, it's an extraordinary organization. They've got all sorts of labs. Um, if, you, if you ever think about who, who sets time, who decides when, what time it actually is, that comes out of NIST and the NIST labs. And so this was, this organization was built in order to get some of the research and all of the, the cool scientific innovations that were coming out of the NIST labs, whether in plastics and polymers and robotics and automation to get those into industry to commercialize, right? So that was, that was the purpose of putting this together, putting the organization together. NIST sits right under, under the U.S. Department of Commerce. And so the whole purpose was to find organizations like ours in every state that could, that could take forward that mission. Um, initially it was all about commercializing new technologies, but then really early on what we found with small and particularly with small to medium-sized manufacturers, but we found early on um, and this is back in, so we got our contract back in 1990, 90, 1991. And what we found early on is that small to medium-sized manufacturers weren't while, while they were eager to get the new, com- to get those new technologies and to commercialize them, they weren't necessarily ready for it. They still needed to put their own processes in place to help them be more efficient and help, help them be better at what they were already doing so that we could get them running like really strong machines before we added new technologies and new commercialization. So really quickly, the, almost all of us, the center's, ended up doing more of that efficiency work and helping companies just really set the stage to be ready for new technologies and nail and so that was 91 and now here we are 2022 and we're really we're finding that companies now just now are really really ready for some of the the more advanced technologies and um advanced materials and things like that.
1: Ooh, what a perfect place to take take a dramatic pause here. We'll we'll hear a a quick um call to action, and when we come back in our in our day job, Tiffany, you know we serve quite a few small to medium sized manufacturers, and I am very fascinated um, by manufacturing, probably because I know absolutely nothing about it uh, now, I did take a um I went through a certification earlier this year um it was a I wonder if it's the same group that uh does what you do in the state of Nevada because they're essentially the manufacturing resource for I believe for the state. So maybe they do what, what you do out there and they put a workshop on uh lean lean manufacturing.
0: Yes. I bet that was our that, I bet that was our group. I bet that was the Nevada ME manufacturing extension partnership.
1: Yeah, I bet I bet you're right. I bet you're right. And I remember when I, I went to this. And um I actually invited a couple of our clients to come. So we're we're sitting there kicking the day off, and uh, everybody's introducing themselves, right? Hey, I'm Sally with SVP manufacturing. Hey, I'm I'm Bob with you know this or that. And then it comes to me and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm landing with you know backbone planning partners, and they're like, Who the heck are you? And what are you? She's like, What are you doing here? you know. And I'm like, I'm like, fair question I'm like, i just we have a lot of manufacturing clients, and if I can pull a couple of good nuggets out of your workshop today and pass them on to my clients, and there's some value you know in that and so that's uh that was um you know kind of my that was like my first like real exposure to the manufacturing process because like I said, I've never worked in manufacturing. I've got zero experience. I can barely hang a picture on the wall, let alone <laughs> you know uh engineer or manufacture something so but it was super interesting so when we when we come back from this quick break, I want to hear all about you know what does manufacturing look like you know out there, and you know what are some of the things that you're advising your you know your your clients on who I assume are you know all the small and medium-sized manufacturers. So we want to pull all this great info out of your head so that we can share it with our listeners. But uh, before we do that, we'll just take a real quick break here. Hey there, tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years, and you'd like to know what your business is worth, please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you. And thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right, welcome back, tycoons. We are here with Tiffany Stovall, and we are talking um, all things manufacturing. And so, I want to serve it right back over to Tiffany. And uh, Tiffany, tell us a little bit about what's the manufacturing world. What's the landscape look like out in Kansas? And then, I know that's going to lead to a really, you know, productive conversation around, you know, what are what are manufacturers doing right now to pivot and innovate and excel? So, go ahead.
0: Yep, happy to do that. So um, people think of Kansas as an agriculture, as a farm state. Um, Even here in Kansas, we uh, we talk about ourselves as a farm state. But really, in in terms of receipts, there's $17.5 billion in annual farm and ranch cash receipts. Manufacturing in Kansas generates almost $28 billion a year. So more than half again. Of farm sales, so seventeen point 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 five billion versus almost twenty eight billion dollars a year, we export about we export just a little over eight billion dollars a year worth of manufactured goods to other other uh, other countries, and uh, it accounts for about fifteen and a half percent of the total output in the state, employing about twelve percent of the workforce so you know, when we talk about manufacturing, we're, in, you know, we're not just talking about this small subset of companies, but manufacturing is something that's so critical and so important to all of us. And I will also say that in Kansas, um, most manufacturers, most 98.5% of manufacturers are considered small to medium-sized companies, most of them on the, what we would all consider more on the smaller size um, side of 100 and under employees most of those are 100 and under employees and a quite a bit of, quite a few of those are even 50 and under and that's you know, we're just a snapshot of what happens nationally so what we hear about are the big brands right we hear about the big manufacturers frito lay and the car manufacturers and we caterpillar we 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 hear about these big manufacturers that are attached to brands that we are familiar with, but what we don't talk about is the supply chain that supplies those manufacturers um as well as the all the other little all the other goods that we consume but the pan one of the thing that the pandemic really did for us nationally and here in this here in the state is it put a magnifying glass on manufacturing, right? When we were suddenly talking about shortages in PPE, we were suddenly talking about shortages at the grocery store. Whether it was toilet paper or bread, these are all things that are manu- that are manufactured here in the United States. But what we what we really um, kept talking about, and we, we, we is also absolutely a challenge, are the Parts of our supply chain that come from overseas, right? And we've all seen the pictures on social media of the the big barges sitting in the ports, right, waiting, and and even the little things that here's here's my here's my bed that I ordered, you know, three months ago. It's right there, the picture of the port. But and, and that that is true too. And so while our our organization nationally exists to help. Um, United States manufacturers and to help not just help them grow, but also we talk about reshoring how to bring back manufacturing, how to strengthen our own manufacturing communities so that um, we can meet the needs. And one of the things that we really found is that a lot of the stuff that we are purchasing from overseas, because we thought that it's, we think it's cheaper and we think that that's the best way to do it. And I, I'm talking to small to medium sized companies here because especially Though, especially these companies are thinking about how can I save a dollar, and we have this thought that it's cheaper if it's made in China or Vietnam or somewhere overseas. But what we found, very, very, very intimately, is that when there is any sort of delay, that the delays in those products that are made overseas that that don't ha- don't that don't come on time. I can't tell you how many stories we have where we matched manufacturers. They were waiting for something overseas that they weren't going to get for months, if even that. And we did the search in-state and found, in one case, there was a manufacturer less than 30 minutes down the road that was making what a company needed. They had never looked. They had never thought about it, never looked, because they just thought, I have to go overseas to make this thing. And so, you know, we we not only talk about this, talk talk about a savings and shipping, but we're talking about the savings and you know the opportunity cost and what it what it costs when you can't the true cost of not being able to meet the orders of your clients, whoever those whoever your your clients are. So, you know, manufacturing in Kansas, I just talked a little bit about what it what it looks like. But what's happening here in Kansas is a snapshot of what's happening across the country as well in terms of what it looks like. Who who really runs manufacturing? Yes, these big companies provide a lot of jobs and won't take that back. A lot of jobs, um, they're critical parts of the supply chain. These tier one suppliers, the OEMs, but it's these it's these small manufacturers that really run American manufacturing, and that cannot be that can't be overstated how important small to medium sized companies are to our economy, to job creation, to um, making sure that we can get what we need when we need it—that that that kind of a thing. So um, yeah. you know, again, that's something that is not—that's not just Kansas. That's that's across the country.
1: Yeah. Would you say that's kind of like that's kind of the the biggest challenge that you're seeing with your local manufacturers is the is the supply chain stuff, and and maybe maybe speak to maybe one or two other ones that are pretty pretty relevant? Because I'm sure that if they're relevant to you guys, they're probably relevant to to the rest of us in other states.
0: Absolutely. So um, supply chain is one of those issues, especially a year, two years ago. That's all we heard about, right? was the supply chain issues. That's starting to level out now. We do an annual survey. Our manufacturers, like many states do so, and I'll just do an MEP plug here. That if you're not connected with your the MEP in your state, and we're not all named the same thing, mm-hmm. so just look up your state manufacturing extension partnership, and um, that's that's the go-to in your state. If you if you didn't get that, feel free to reach out to me. I'll connect you to the right person. But um, and so many of them do a survey the same way the same as we do. So we do an annual survey of manufacturers in our states, really trying to understand what their challenges are, um, how we can help them, what do they need from us, what do they need from resources, whether it's us or somebody else, and what, you know, what are they facing? So we heard supply chain. Another thing that comes up in in almost every meeting is um, and on the survey was people. I need people. So we hear that a lot. And we're all trying to do it to, to address this in different ways. Manufacturing Day is the first Friday of October where manufacturers across the country open up their doors and many, time host, many times host tours and things like that. We're all doing things, you know, we're all doing that kind, that kind of effort. But really, it's a, it's a much bigger challenge. Of uh, We've got folks that are retiring from, from skilled trades. To include manufacturing, but we don't have the pipeline of, of future talent to come in and, and and take those roles. And part of it is an image issue. We think we think manufacturing, and I and you know I say this a lot in in presentations that you know this old sort of thought about what manufacturing is the old Laverne and Shirley, and we're just moving moving things from one place to another, and it's repetitive and it's dirty and Oh my gosh, there's no way I could ever do anything like that. Manufacturing doesn't look like that anymore. I've talked about how uh, manufacturing, about the uh, automation and digitization of manufacturing. Part of this is a work is, is to fill the workforce needs. So, you know, it's robots and cobots in many, in many places that are are providing assistance to some of that repetitive work. It's about the ergonomics, right? That you can't have a person that's bending over like this all day, every day. We just don't do that. We just don't do that anymore. We have better processes. We have better equipment. But what hasn't caught up is our mindset about what manufacturing trades, what manufacturing careers can look like for young people. We've all done a really good job of of pressing young people towards a four-year degree, to college, and i I don't even have to go too far into that to talk about to even think about how problematic that is, especially with the cost mm-hmm. of college and the cost of that that those degrees what what that looks like when many times the in these skilled trades with just a certification, we've got kids that are graduating from high school starting into into careers that are six paying sixty seventy thousand dollars with mm-hmm. no debt. There's also so many programs out there. Where, with like an earn and learn, whether it's an apprenticeship or some other sort of local programs, where manufacturers because they're they're really looking for people are parts of programs where again there's this earn and learn, and kids are able to get to work right away, making good money. These aren't old, dirty, repetitive jobs anymore. They're high skill, high high tech sorts of jobs. So we have an image issue with with manufacturing. That, that the um, an image issue that leads to the people issue to the people shortage, so you know that is something that we hear at almost every company that we go sit down with, um, which is part of our process is we go sit down with a company to really understand what their challenges are, and you know we're not trying to just we're not a hammer trying to hit a nail here. We're trying to really understand what their challenges are and then feel the feel the particular challenge that they may have. The challenge that they all have, among others, are finding people, finding potential workforce. So um, we hear that quite a bit. Business growth, that's another, another um, thing that we hear quite a bit from companies. So 61% of companies in the last year are said that in, in the next five years, they will focus on increasing their market penetration with their current products. So meaning taking their, the same stuff they're making now and trying to enter new markets. But they're not quite sure how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, 49% of companies said that their business strategy would be to produce better quality products. Okay, that's great. But what does that mean? How do I do that? How do I measure that? So those are the kind, just these are some examples of the work that we'll do with companies. Um, and then as well, just finally here, the um this idea of autom- again, I'm kind of gonna, gonna come bring it back to automation, which in our industry we call it industry 4.0. It's been talked about for years. And so with this, this is additive printing, which um, 3D printing, right? We talk mm-hmm. about 3D printing, we talk about vir- virtual reality, robots, cobots, and how does data enter into all of this so that we can do our jobs easier and faster, more efficient, with less people and less expense over time. So these are the these are the challenges that the manufacturers are facing and you couldn't you didn't you couldn't talk about industry 4.0 you couldn't talk automation digitization 5 10 years ago because it was oh gosh we can't take the jobs from people but now we don't have the people for the jobs so it's it, it's opened up the conversation in an entirely different way because now it's not viewed as taking jobs from people which it wasn't that it wasn't back then but you know you kind of kind of hear that now it's about how can we use technology to help fill the gaps where we don't have people, and so it's opened up a different kind of conversation now.
1: Yeah, for sure. So a couple of things I want to mention: uh, Nevada Industry Excellence. Yes, that's that
0: our counterpart. is
1: the yeah, that's the group out here, and that's who that's who hosted the uh, Lean One Hundred One workshop. So um, yeah, really really enjoyed the lady who uh, presented that. Uh, learned a ton. Um, so I think you and I have two very unique perspectives on this people thing and I'll tell you what my perspective is and then certainly the fact that you've got a 15 year old gives you a unique perspective because I think you could you can make the argument that that these kids that are in high school right now they are really this first generation of kids that have had cell phones for I'm not saying your kid, but I, I know, you know, uh, at, yes, my kid. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm also a i am um, i am also I teach a class at church and I've got uh, 10 and 11 year old boys and girls. And I would just argue that you know, these kids that are in high school right now are, are really this first generation to where they're having phones at super young ages. And what that the reason I bring this up and what that translates to is that um, I I read a study the other day by a guy that studies um, habits in children. He conducted a study and the study was uh, essentially the findings were that it was like seven or eight out of 10 children when asked what they want to do when they grow up are saying YouTuber, influencer, social media, star like 7 or 8 out of 10 kids are saying that wow so wow my my question is like how do you how do you work on a problem like that for manufacturing where you're already your backs are already kind of up against the wall from a people standpoint you know not that all kids are going to you know turn out to be social media stars of course But the fact that those are their aspirations tell us that, you know, that, that manufacturing is probably going to have a pretty hard go at it when it comes to recruiting that this generation of kids that are only 10 and 15, you know, years old right now. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there's even an answer to this right now, but what are your thoughts on that and how do you, how do you address that as being, you know, potentially a, a very serious concern or issue for manufacturing in the next couple, you know, decade or two.
0: So, it's a very interesting question, and it's something that we we have to. It, there, there's no one solution, okay. Um, it, it has to be multi pronged, and it has to include schools. It has to include education. It has to include industry. So. I think the way the industry has, and I won't. And this isn't just manufacturing. This is in healthcare and IT and all of these other industries as well. What we've been, what we've been used to being being able to do, is ask the industry sit back and say, "We need this. We need these people, right?" And that um, education, whether it was K through twelve or secondary education, would try to provide that. We've we've moved into a different phase now because what you're talking about with kids that have that that you know this 70% <laughs> seven out of 10 that want to be these these YouTubers and influencers it's because that's what they see mm-hmm. that's what they're exposed to and so what we have to talk about is exposure um how do we expose kids students to opportunities that are available to them earlier and earlier so right. several years ago we were talking about getting into the high schools to talk manufacturing. And again, take this across other industries as well. How do we get into the high schools? Then it was, you know what? High school isn't early enough because they've already started to make their mind up. So we got to get down into the middle school. Then it was, now it's, you know, we're talking elementary school and even preschool because when you start to expose kids early and often, which they get through these things, through these cell phones, often expo- you know, exposure <laughs> early and often. That's what they see. They see these, these YouTubers making all this money and having fun doing it. And who wouldn't want to? I want to be an influencer. I'm just not willing to put in the time and exposure to social media to make that happen. But yeah, it looks great. It looks fun. But what they don't see is the back end, it is what it actually takes to be that. And so when we can start to expose them to career pathway, to career pathways just taking that that model and exposing them to career pathways and what it actually looks like not because we are grown people talking about it because we think it's a good idea that's not going to be enough they got they they're going to have to get into facilities get into companies see for themselves what it looks like talk to people that are already in in those jobs and again not old people like me but younger people that they feel like they can relate to i'm a mom does my son relate to me as mom? he I'm mom, but is he going to think that something's cool because I say it's cool? Mm-hmm. No, he's not. He's going to think it's not cool if I say it's cool. so th- that's 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 where we have to start is getting into schools earlier, in partnership with with industry, whoever industry is, if you are an industry that needs people, you got to start talking to young kids now finding ways and think and 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 trust me, the schools are hungry for it. They're, they're hungry for volunteers, they're hungry for tours um, and, and those kinds of things because they also they also see a problem that tr- they're trying to solve just from their side. And how would a teacher know what it's like to be in manufacturing? How would a teacher know what it's like to be in healthcare? How would a teacher know what it's like to be in IT or in some of these other categories without their own ex- without their own exposure? So, we have to be willing to do differently and the, and then, in the meantime, we try to find better ways. so some of the things that we talk to, that we talk to companies about with the people issues, which again they all have is what are you doing to become a company of choice, an employer of choice? because people do have choices, you need them. you need them they don't necessarily need you because they have op- they, there's all these options now, right, right. and so how do you become attractive in ways to go that a com- that somebody's going to want to come and work for you. And so we're talking about things like company culture and how to build that and how to maintain that and how to become this employer of choice. And what are you doing on your side to attract and retain talent? So these are conversations that for a long time we didn't have to have because it was an employer's market. And now we have to have those conversations and those companies that are really serious about it are doing lots lots of things in that area. And I'm not talking about ping pong tables and, and personal chefs. I'm talking about true company culture and how you build that. How do you maintain that? How do you nurture that? And so that this is a place where people actually want to come and work.
1: You may have just cracked the, the entire code, you know, from, from A to Z. And maybe uh, (laughs) what that means is that as, uh, as parents, you know, and as older people talking to younger people, what we need to do is just tell them how uncool manufacturing is. <laughs> and then they will, you know, they'll come to the realization themselves that it's actually really cool because we're telling them how uncool <laughs> that it is.
0: You know what, Landon? High five on that
1: because <laughs> you could, I think you that's could exactly a whole marketing campaign around that, like uncool manufacturing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, all right, we're bumping up against time here. We just got got a handful of minutes left. But in closing, maybe we just kind of finish out this thread here, which is like, you know, this, you know, people conversation. So your son's 15, you know, he's going to be doing whatever it is that he's going to be doing in the next couple of years. Maybe he's going to college, maybe he goes to a trade school, maybe he starts a business, maybe he, you know, wants to work with mom or dad, you know, who knows what his path is. But what, what advice are you giving, you know, Tim? Uh, Timmy, I think you referred to him. What what advice are you giving Timmy? And what do you advice are you giving young people right now that uh, are just kind of getting started in their careers?
0: So I serve in a program where I'm mentoring young young women and have had an opportunity to 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 do that for quite some time now. And you heard me allude to it earlier. Or maybe I can set it. Um, earlier, and as I talked about what my path looked like, and you know, from for me, my words were you know, something to the effect of I'll do anything, but I think really the word, really the approach to take is um, it, when you're when we're early in our career is how can I be helpful um, to really try to understand what's happening in the business and so that you f- you feel that your role is more than just a cog in a wheel, right? I'm just doing a thing because my boss told me to and I got to get it done by X date because my boss told me to. But really trying to understand what role you play in the organization and this, you know, coming to it with an attitude of what can I do and how can I help move strategy. But that also, and so this that's what I tell my tell my son is and what I'm trying to teach him not just about what his future career will look like, but at home and with his grandparents. My mom has Alzheimer's, and you know we're we're all in in, in new places and new phases all the time, right? Just trying to understand what that looks like, and so really just approaching every day like, how can I be helpful? What can I what what can I do? So that's what I'm trying to teach him. This is what this is what I mentor the young women that I was working with to come to a new job, to come to situations with what can I do to be helpful. But along with that, I will say that that, that, that um, is also a responsibility for us as leaders to on how can I be helpful. And so if the expectation is that our young people are doing this, and if they come with this attitude of what can I do and how can I be helpful, then that means we need to be really very clear on what the goal, what the company goals are, what the strategy is. And so when someone, if if someone were to come to you and ask that question, what would you say? And not just giving them tasks, but helping them understand the vision so that they know that the work that they do and it also that, you know, how it fits in, but it also empowers them to find other things to do that maybe you didn't tell them to do, which is where I want my son to be, is that I don't want to have to tell you every single thing that needs to be done. Same thing with our workforce that um, if we, we empower them by letting them see what the vision is and what the full strategy is. What are the goals for, the, for this month? What are the goals for this quarter, for this year? And if they understand that and how their work fits into that, then we're helping them to help drive us all forward. And it really makes the job easier for us, but that really requires us as leaders to have, to have some clarity not just have clarity for ourselves about that and maybe on your leadership team, but have and create clarity for the entire organization of what that looks like
1: yeah I love that it made it made me think of a a story I heard this morning driving to work I was finishing up the last chapter of an audiobook it's called who Not How it's by uh, Dan Sullivan who created the strategic coach and then this i he's an author and a speaker they they collaborated on this together and one of the final stories in the book was about a company who they do janitorial work and one of their clients is nasa and a gentleman had gone in and interviewed one of the janitors for nasa and he said mm-hmm. what do you you know what do you do here and he said i'm helping you know put men on you know men on the moon or something like that or i'm helping put rockets in space, you know what I mean? Because his purpose was, was something of of great importance, you know, and it, that, that purpose was instilled in him by the company, you know, they're, they're a contractor, but I think he, he only worked, you know, at NASA. And so, you know, that, that purpose was instilled and it was communicated and it, and it, it dripped down and touched every single person of the organization. And I thought that was really interesting, but just going back to your point about how we have a responsibility as leaders for people to, to, uh, be taught some of that stuff, you know, because as, as entrepreneurs, you know, entrepreneurs are, are definitely a different breed because at the end of the day, they're usually willing to do things that a lot of other people are just flat out, not willing to do. Yeah. And that's what makes some people very successful as entrepreneurs. Yeah. But a lot of that's just, it's innate, right? It's not that you were ever really taught that. It's just, that's just who you were. It was part of your upbringing. It was stuff that happened in your life. It was what, it was this, it was that. But you're never like really taught that kind of stuff. So I love what you were explaining there, how you're actually trying to like teach people that stuff, which is like teaching people how to learn how to go above and beyond to, to grow and to excel and to be, you know, to become great at at what they're doing. So that is, that is really cool. I've never really heard it kind of explained like that.
0: And Landon, I would add one more word to it. Teach it, um, but also empower them. We, We empower the people that work with us and for us to, to be able to make those moves when we, when we are clear on what we're on, what our expectations are by setting goals, what are our own goals, which helps them set their own goals, have, have the conversation often, and reevaluate, re- reassess. It, it, that really is the key. And the other thing, and I'll, I'll, and I'll end on this because I know we're, we're running short on time here, is that when we can do that as leaders, it helps us avoid burnout. Mm-hmm. Because entrepreneurial types are also just used to doing it all. And when you, you get to a certain point where you can't, if you're going to do it all, you're only going to hit a certain level of growth. If you want to grow beyond your wildest imaginations, you're going to have to be able to let some of that go. You right. let some of that go by empowering the people that work with you and for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I love that. Well, Tiffany, this has been a, a really wonderful conversation. You know, you're so easy to talk to and you've got such great knowledge to share with us. So Thank you so much for joining us. Um, if there's anybody that wants to track you down for whatever reason, you know, uh, connect with you, what's the best way for people to do that?
0: I'm I'm on LinkedIn. So Tiffany Stovall, T-I-F-F-A-N-Y-S-T-O-V-A-L-L with Kansas Manufacturing Solutions.
1: All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing everything you've shared with us today. And we look forward to, uh, you know, tracking you as you continue to uh, be successful and and do great things for the manufacturers in Kansas. And I'm sure you've got input on some stuff nationwide as well. So thank you again for being here and uh, have a great day. Thanks much,
0: thank you. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Arizona time, for an introduction to another great tycoon and be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all of our episodes and great content